Welcome everyone to episode 128 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host, David Comerford, and I'm joined by Farrell Keeling to dissect Liverpool's 3-2 win over Nottingham Forest. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So we missed the game against Leeds on Monday. Apologies for that, but we're back for another game with plenty of goals in it. This time split a little bit nervously as opposed to the, the emphatic victory we saw at Ellen Road. But Liverpool in the end prevailing against Nottingham Forest on Saturday. We saw Diogo Jota open the scoring for Liverpool just after half time. And that was cancelled out by the former Liverpool player, Nako Williams. Jota then scores again, only for Morgan Gibbs White to equalise for a second time. But then at last, Mohamed Salah scores what proves to be the winner. A few nervy moments afterwards, but Liverpool able to hold on and make it back-to-back victories and move up to seventh in the table. So nil-nil at half-time, and then all five goals come in within what I think was 25 second-half minutes. So, Farrell, um, everybody knows the drill by now. Three-word match reviews, first of all, and your assessment of that Liverpool performance. Yeah, uh, my my three-word match review would be uh, much-needed grit. Um, I just thought it's, it's the kind of game, I mean, we saw it earlier in the season, we ended up losing 1-0 at, uh, at uh, Forest. You know, I think there were moments when you kind of look at Liverpool teams of old, you struggle through, you break them down. And what we saw today really is, is you know, what, what's been missing most of the season. You know, I think, I don't know if I'm mistaken, thinking all, all three goals kind of resulted from set pieces. They did. Um, yeah. You know, how much can we say that we've relied on that as a, as a bona fide threat uh, from Liverpool's perspective this season. We haven't really. Um, part of that has been, you know, the spotlight has been on, on Trent in terms of his defensive flaws. And obviously, I think you think his confidence has taken here, how involved he is in sort of um, the creative side of the game, build up play and that kind of thing. You know, the, the, the tweak has done wonders for it. It, it. it very much looks like Trent's got his confidence back and, you know, we're getting the best out of his abilities. Um, and I, yeah, I just think it's the kind of performance. I, I know plenty have gone online and said, "Oh, Liverpool were a bit sort of weak in moments," and you know, you, you play that like in other games. But you know, really, I think we've seen more from Liverpool in that game than we've seen for much of the season. So, in my eyes, I think that's a good win for us. I agree, and I'm going to touch on something that you mentioned there, really, and it's the set pieces. And my three-head match review is set piece duel. Because that's what it was. Um, all three Liverpool goals coming from set pieces. The uh, the first one for Jota from a corner. Then it was the second one. Was it a free kick from Robertson also to Jota? And then another free kick, I believe, to Salah for the uh, for the third goal. And then Forrest as well at the other end. Um, both goals coming Throw from throw-in. Yeah. So basically every single goal, which I can't really remember a game with five goals and all come from set pieces, but um so that was the story of it really it was a, it was a set piece battle liverpool won it in the end um and i did some digging after the game and found that we had 13 shots from set pieces in that match um out of 18 total so that's five from open play um and 13 from set pieces and that is unsurprisingly the highest liverpool have had in any single game this season um the previous high was 11 against brentford um and I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know this uh, for a fact, but it's hard to imagine many Premier League games where our teams had more set piece attempts than that. 
the deliveries from from Trent and Robertson all day were, were excellent, and we could have scored five or six from set pieces. I mean, there was a chance where Van Dijk had one um, tipped over the bar by Navas, and also Gakpo saw an effort cleared off the line by Neko Williams as well. Um, so in a way, you can look at it in two aspects. Liverpool didn't create much from open play in this match, um, but it's perfectly fine to create from set pieces. That's, you know, as as we saw today, you're going to get loads of those and you need to be able to beat teams in multiple ways, you know, if you can't just carve them open in open play. Because Forrest, weirdly, were very organised in open play. But as soon as there was a set piece, they were in complete and utter disarray. Um, and Liverpool capitalised on that in the end. And I suppose... You could make a similar case for Liverpool's defending at the other end. I mean, open play, Forrest had nothing. The first half, they had 14% possession, one shot completed. Well, you know, barely any passes because they, they were just they were just playing it long. It was 15% passing accuracy uh, from Forrest in the first half. Second half, they obviously come into it. But, you know, it's the set pieces for them that are the avenue. Like, they're not breaking Liverpool down in open play themselves. But the, it was just chaotic defending, really. For, from It was like watching... Arsenal against Rory Delap um back in the day, to be fair. Um so thankful to to get out of it um alive in that sense. It it, it was a very strange game in the sense that there was this sort of set piece battle taking place where all teams were getting their chances. And other than that, it was more Liverpool. It, it was what you'd expect aside from the set pieces where Liverpool maybe struggled to break down a, a deep, well organized defence. Um and, and Forest don't really have much. And then the set pieces come and they're just chaos. So so that's how I saw it. Um Let's get on to some players. And there's only one place to start. The man who scored two goals today, four goals in two games, Diogo Jota. I mean, what a turnaround that is, Farrell, after what I think off the top of my head was 372 days without a goal in any competition for Liverpool. A long time, a long time, a year without scoring. And he goes on sort of and plays such a pivotal role uh, in, in our last two games. And um, you'd have to say, given. The two goals that he did score were quite sort of wildly different in terms of what was required. You know, the first one, typical kind of poachers uh, finish, which again is probably one of the most sort of underrated finishes in football. Uh, and then sort of the technique he has with the, the second to pull that off. It, it's, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to be, you know, I, I, it's very easy to kind of get in lines of, you know, oh, Diego Jota's back, but it feels like he's back, doesn't it? You know, it, yeah. it, it, it feels like we've gone through this period where his confidence was, had really sort of taken a massive hit, um, you know, after re- sort of repeated injuries. And he's, yeah, he's phenomenal. You can't really count Diego Jota out. I, I remember very, very recently, you know, there being calls about, you know, should we be looking to sell him? Newcastle was sniffing about reports of 40, 50, uh, 60 million pounds, you know, should Liverpool sell him to fund their trans? You know, absolutely insane. Absolutely insane calls. You know, I, I think there's clear value in sticking with him and sticking with, you know, uh, a lot of the players of his sort of age range, you know, I think Klopp came out the other day and sort of, you know, people have been questioning why Darwin Nunez hasn't been starting yet. And I think he sort of hinted, he alluded to his, his English uh, still being, yeah. you know, I, how, how many times have, have people sort of commentators ruled out certain players in the football squad? You cannot rule out uh, the likes of Jota uh, and Darwin Nunez. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 ve- I'm very impressed. I'm, I'm quite happy. Uh, to see him sort of back back in the goals because it was getting to that point I think when everyone was starting to say look it's been a year now you know injuries are not uh, it's it's <laughs> it's not what you expect of, of a Liverpool striker not what you expect of a Liverpool forward in a Jurgen Klopp team um, yes yeah, so I, I couldn't be more delighted for it 
Yeah, I, I, I do love Jota, and um, in fairness, you know, I, I agree that he, he did desperately need a goal, but I, I was also never sort of worried in terms of the ramifications in terms of long term because he was still contributing in other ways. You know, I think he had um, more assists or maybe the second most assists of any player um, during that kind of barren run. So, you know, we, you know that, that's why Klopp was still, you know, showing faith in him. And I never thought that it was, you know, we saw last season the height he hit. I think he got sort of, you know, over 20 goals last season. And that player was always going to be there. You know, you look at the age that he is, and it was just a, a case of kind of getting that confidence back. Um, and he did against Leeds. Misses a sitter in the first half of this game, incidentally. And you're worried that is, you know, is Leeds going to be a bit of a flash in the pan from in that sense? But no, gets that poacher's goal, like you say. Um, and the fin, I mean, the, the touch and finish for the second one is sort of pure. Um, Pure technique and pure instinct. Um, it, it was absolutely brilliant that, and it reminds me of, of what Jota himself said after the game against Leeds. He mentioned an analogy that Cristiano Ronaldo used. Um, obviously, probably one of his idols, being Portuguese. Um, I think it was in 2010, and Ronaldo says sometimes goals are like ketchup. You know, you, you try so hard to, to to get it to come out, and then all of a sudden they all come out at once. Um, and and that's kind of what's happened, really. You know, like like you say, no goals in over a year, and now four in the space of two matches. We saw last season Sadio Mane had his longest ever goal drought in a Liverpool shirt. He then um, is transport. He gets a goal against Chelsea, carries that into Afcon, comes back, and he's prolific for the remainder of the season. Goals, you know, it, it all it's really simple in a way. You know, you just need that goal. And then you get, you know, the boost, your confidence comes back and your goal-scoring instincts come back as well. Um, and it reminds me, actually, of, of Eden Hazard too. Um, the season where he basically went a year without a goal. He scores, he gets a few. Scores one at Anfield, actually. Um, as he has a sort of late-season flurry, carries it into the following season where he helps Chelsea win the Premier League. Um, so hopefully, Jota can not only keep this up for the rest of this year, but then sort of carry that good feel and have a full pre-season, which he didn't really get last year. Um, and then next season, can he can be sort of back to his best, um, fully fledged. Uh, another player that I think was probably one of Liverpool's best today, a, a man of the match contender, certainly, and someone who we have to talk about, is Trent Alexander-Arnold. Once again, Farrell thriving in his new role that Klopp's given him. Yeah, no, I mean, four assists in his last uh, three games. I remember writing about him the other day, and I think, so... Um, his first three assists came in the sort of first half of the season, and now he's got four in his last three games. So if you ever need, needed evidence that that tactical tweak uh, from Klopp is paying dividends, there it is in black and white. It's working. Um, I, I mean, the most interesting thing for me is that I, I think a lot of commentators seem to confuse this idea of Trent needs to play in midfield without understanding, well, actually he's thriving by inverting and running into midfield from his own half when we're in possession. It's not because he's starting from midfield, that, and that's the crucial distinction. Everyone says, oh, he needs to be in midfield, he's in midfield. You know, you get the likes of Lineker and all that saying, oh, you know, I always said we need to start, but he's not starting in midfield. Yeah. He's walking, he's, he's moving into midfield. And the key thing for Trent, as has been the case, you know, when he was having his most successful sort of years under Klopp, was that he had space to run into, the pitch all ahead of him, he could play the pass. We've just merely directed it now in a different direction. Um, it's you know, this was always going to be key for Liverpool because the minute that we weren't making the most of his sort of creative ability, 
Liverpool were always going to suffer massively. And part, you know, don't get me wrong, Robertson's fantastic, and I think you know he's got a reasonably good supply of assists uh, this season. I think it's in the seven or eight range. Well, uh, on ten now, yeah. Is, on, is it 10? I thought it was all goal yeah. contributions. Um, yeah, so 10, well, there you go. E- even better. But I think, you know, we'd be foolish to not acknowledge that Trent is, of course, our most creative uh, force. That's certainly no slight on Andy Robertson. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. And again, you know, with set pieces, we saw this again with the first goal, with the corner. I know it was from a sort of Fabinho sort of flick on, but it just created absolute sort of havoc in the, in the forest box. And I think that's such a key part of, Liverpool getting through these kind of games where we know that they're going to sit back, they're going to load the box, you know, thinking you can't just traditionally open up like they're a better side, you know, playing more open football and get them on the counter-attack. You need to be a bit more, um, yeah, just a bit more sort of intuitive and creative. And so yeah. It's, yeah, I'm I'm delighted to see that. I think it's, it's extremely positive. And as you say, you know, we're seeing Jota get back in the goals. Well, we should equally be celebrating Trent getting back in the assist and getting his mojo yeah. back, heading into the next season. That's a fantastic sign, regardless of whether Liverpool get Champions League football or not. That's exactly the kind of situation you want heading into the next campaign. Yeah, he... Um, Klopp said something before the game which stuck with me along those lines. He said, um, basically... We don't know what's going to come of this season, and we'll get onto that in a second. But while we have these games, you know, he he said something along the lines of, "I'm aware that there are other seasons too. It's not all about this season. So, what can I sort of salvage from this year? What what can I learn from this kind of stretch of games at the end of the season that that I can use next year?" And it's still early days, but everything we've seen so far from this experiment suggests that it's going to be good for. Liverpool and good for Trent and obviously those two things are very much tied together because like you say he is so important to this team um, so so I'm really sort of excited about that in terms of a template going forward um, and you know often we, we talk about how when the pressure comes off a team they can experiment um, and maybe gain something from that and sometimes it doesn't really come to fruition but we're seeing that very much happen here uh, with Trent um, it is really paying off and yeah ran the show especially in the first half today, he, he was the best player on the pitch for Liverpool and he, he's producing those kind of highlight reel passes again. And it was sort of, you know, he's he's had so many flashes this season and not all of them have led to assists. But now after sort of a really difficult campaign, he's becoming a, a joy to watch again. And I think that stems from the fact that he's rediscovered his own sort of joy um, when, you know, with, when he's got the ball at his feet. And, that does sound maybe a little bit kind of, you know, flowery or cliched or whatever you want to call it, but it matters. And um, I think we're certainly seeing that turnaround from Trent. Uh, anybody else to mention, uh, Farrell, who kind of stood out to you today? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought, again, if, if you kind of look at the goals that have been scored, you know, Nico Williams, it's a bit of bad luck, the deflection, yeah. former Liverpool player, it was so... And endemic of this season and you could sort of thought when that goal went in you were like oh god it's not going to be one of those games is it and then we scored again and then um, Gibbs White with that unbelievable effort and I think Taiwo Awaniyi came close to an overhead kick as well so that game we could have really ended up with a share of spoils there had, had they had just a little bit more luck um, so I, I do I do I don't think the back line was atrocious I think yes uh, we had some issues with set pieces uh, but there, I remember some several sort of key contributions from uh, Van Dijk in particular I think there's a moment in the second half where Trent uh, 
gifts the ball away into the middle of the park. I'm not quite sure what happens. Awful ball, awful ball. Um, and then Nottingham, so Forrester on the counter. Um, and then I think Van Dyke sort of absolutely punts it up the pitch. I, I think, yeah, I think the back line was quite, quite solid. I think we do have to give them uh, some credit today. And um, if I may add another, I, I, I thought I was quietly impressed with uh, Louis Dias. Uh, his, oh, his, yeah. his cameo. I thought you know he was absolute terror um, on the left flank yeah. again, which is which is exactly what we want to be seeing uh, heading into the remainder of the season. Yeah, that's a great one to mention actually because um, he he only really had sort of two runs, but one of them he wins a free kick, and that's exactly what you want in this scenario. And if you're not going to win a free kick, get the ball up the pitch, and that's exactly what he did to the other. And I suppose re- just really exciting to see him looking like so sharp um, and, and that kind of close control, that dribbling just being there already is really exciting and not much um, not much playing time for him today. Um, West Ham in midweek, Spurs next weekend. I think it's still going to be a couple more games where we see him start, but hopefully he can sort of be kind of ramping up to kind of 30 minutes uh, sub-appearances soon and, and starting to get back amongst the, the goals and the assists, uh, certainly. So Diaz is a good shout. Um, I think he only played an hour today. I thought Fabinho had a good game. Um, I'm not just saying that because he got the sort of assist for the goal with, with that glancing header. But even beyond that, there's a couple of vintage Fabinho moments in there where he breaks up an attack and tests the ball on the front foot. Um, we won't talk about the shot that he put over the extended Anfield road. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought generally it was much more like it from him. And uh, yeah, obviously coming off with probably an eye on air. Probably on West Ham because there isn't really with Bicester injured. There isn't really another uh, option in that number six role. Um, but yeah, credit to him today because you know he's had a lot of deserved stick this season. But you know, um, praise players when they when they deserve it too. So yeah, I think that's pretty much it in terms of the individual performances. Then um, just a reminder: um, if you're listening to this on audio, um, please do give us a five star review on Spotify. We've had um, another one uh, since our last episode, so we're really grateful for that. Um, and also, you can follow the podcast, press the notification button too, so it appears in your feed and you get a message every time we post a new episode. Um, and a reminder too, that you can email us uh, at podcast at gmail.com. And that could be with sort of any feedback about the podcast, any questions you have that you want us to answer on or off air. So yeah, just a couple of reminders about those. Okay, so we'll spend the last few minutes of the podcast looking ahead really to the rest of the season. And We've seen Liverpool pick up seven points um, from their last three now after, uh, what was it, one one from their previous three before that. So the mood's obviously changing a little bit. Um, I'll pull the table up because it looks better than it did, certainly, but still, you know, not great. Liverpool remain seventh. I think Aston Villa scored a late equaliser um, against Brentford today. Um, which propped them back up above Liverpool, but they do have a game in hand. So it's a bit complicated because it's sort of everyone is on a different amount of games between 30 and 32. But the thing that everyone's looking at, obviously, is the top four. Liverpool, six points off um, Newcastle, but Newcastle do have a game in hand on the Reds, which happens to be against Tottenham. There are obviously another team who are in that equation, and that is tomorrow. Um, So Farrell, it's obviously a little bit hard to assess the full landscape recording obviously Saturday evening we don't know what's happened yet in that one that's a pretty significant game in the top four picture what's your kind of just general outlook though on the end of the season are you sort of have you sort of kind of 
put expectations and put the table to one side and just thinking, let's just get as many victories as we can together. Let's try and build some momentum and see where it leaves us. Or are you very much kind of someone who's looking at the table after every game thinking, can we do this? Um, I do tend to look at the table a lot. I, I think recently less so. I, I've, I've come accustomed to the fact or the likely eventuality that Liverpool probably won't get Champions League football uh, this year. So I think the table's almost irrelevant. It's, it's just more about game by game, getting the wins. I think uh, my, uh, my colleague and editor uh, wrote a piece and I, I think he's convinced that Liverpool will get top four, provided we have an absolute perfect finish to the season. So what will now be seven wins from seven uh, following the Nottingham Forest game. Um, it, it's possible. The thing that stands out to me, I think if you look at the run-in immediately, you've mentioned Tottenham, but look at the games that follow, you know, Everton, Southampton, you know, we're talking relegation battlers here. Those are going to be really tough games uh, for Newcastle. You're going to be fighting two sides that are going to be absolutely going full pelt to stay in the English top flight. I think Liverpool's next games, we've got obviously Tottenham coming up, but we're playing them at home, which I think is absolutely critical because, you know, our home form has been phenomenal. Home form is top fourth without question. West Ham away, it's a tough one, but they're not, they're not as sort of as in a desperate situation, and also I think there's the factor that you have to consider European football. It, yeah. I think they're still going strong in the Europa League, so you know is is that going to be a factor? Probably. Mm. And, and then you look at the immediate sort of two fixtures after that: home against Fulham, home against Brentford. We're talking about two clubs that are safely mid-table. You know, it's not a nothing game to them, but you know they're not fighting for survival. <laughs> yeah. So there's going to be less of a and less of an intensity compared to uh, sort of other games. Um, I'm just loading up other Newcastle's other fixtures. Again, they've got to host Arsenal, you know, depending on how the title race is going. Obviously, it's a bit tight now following their draw with Southampton. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't want to get bogged down in ifs, buts and maybes. Um, but the picture, I think being objective here, we, we can say Newcastle aren't going to have a clear run at Champions League football. I, I think this could get start to get a bit tasty come early May. Um, with six points now they've got a game in hand does that put pressure on them especially you look at the fixtures they've got I I think it does I think it does Um, would I rather be in Newcastle's position probably yeah given given their (laughs) given their defensive record but I I don't know how how are you how are you feeling about it well I I think that you know you mentioned what is it seven games to go now Um, we're probably if not gonna have to win all seven it'll be six six and a draw you'd say um do i think this team can do that based on the squad that they have yes based on the way they played this season no um i think you know if they win the next two if they if they go to west ham a team they lost to last season a team who were obviously in that relegation battle and they prove after Lee's that they can get these results away from home now against those struggling teams where they've been so complacent and so and so poor this season. And then, you know, beat Tottenham, we're obviously a team um, in and around them in the table. Um, then, do you know what? I start to think we can do something. Obviously, you need Newcastle to, to stutter a bit. That that could happen still. Um, they, you'd have to say you'd shouldered the, they've shouldered the pressure very well up to this point. Um, but will there be kind of a wobble now? Um, look, I, I think it's possible. 
but I'm still of the mindset and I was of the mindset today of being sort of like, let's just try and let's focus on ourselves completely. Let's, you know, like I said, let's make sure we're, we're building good habits for next season. We're, we're finding kind of the formula for next season. Um, and just trying to sort of salvage our own kind of professional dignity, almost out of what's been a, a really poor season overall. Um, and then we'll see where we end up. Um, it certainly looks promising right now in terms of what Liverpool can do in and of themselves. But um, the bar, the bar for them is very high and Newcastle can probably afford to uh, make a couple of mistakes as well uh, within that. So you need, you need things to very, you know, you need everything to really fall, fall your way. But um it looked like it was going to be a case of giving up on it, but it's, you know, we're talking about it. So, <laughs> so, so, so that tells you really. So yeah, our, our next game will be against West Ham on Wednesday night. Uh, West Ham, a team who could conceivably be playing in the Europa League and Championship next season, um, which should be a quite incredible turn of events. So yeah, we'll see how, we'll see how that one goes. Another key test of Liverpool's credentials for, the, for this late season push, like I say. Um, in the meantime, before our next episode, if you're watching us on YouTube where we upload video versions of all our podcasts, um, please like the video, uh, subscribe to the channel and leave a comment as well if you enjoyed it. And yeah, like I say, we'll be back after the game against West Ham in midweek to give our reaction and then another big one against Tottenham the following weekend. But until then, take care.